Hi, everybody. Kind of a full house tonight. A packed out house, as we like to say in the church biz. <laughs> okay. So I wanted to start off by telling you how full my week was. People always tell me how busy I am, but I never believe them. And I think the reason I don't believe them is because I love what I do. I'm having so much fun being pastor at Scum of the Earth Church that um, I don't really notice if I'm working super hard. But everybody tells me that I am. This week I actually felt like I was. Um, we moved the office. Actually, Jesse Holloman, where is he, by the way? Is he here? Jesse Holloman, right? That guy right there moved the office from the Broadway and 11th location uh, to here and then built the wall here and got all that thing squared away. It was a major job. I had to move my stuff, which I have more stuff than anybody else in the office, right, because of the books and things. So, yeah, so there was that. And we had our last art show, which was amazing over at the gallery. How many people went to that last art show? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, that was really, really cool. Munster Boogie played. Katina Lowe had her stuff up. And um, Leonor, I think, is upstairs with the kiddos tonight. But if you see Leonor, she has led that art gallery deal for the last two years, uh, along with the very capable help of John... What? Of... uh, John Egan and Maria Michelle Gonzalez. So if you see any of those three people, just you know, applaud them, uh, say thank you, because it was one of the most awesome things I think we've ever done is for two years on First Friday. Have a great... What ended up being an outreach to the art community and, uh, and really lifted the profile of artists, I think, not only inside the church, but over Denver, because we didn't always have people from the church who were showing. But since Katina Lowe happens to be my daughter, and since she lives in Michigan, it was up to me and my family to tear down that show. And if you were there, you know that it included a lot of electronics and a lot of paintings and things on the wall. And it was, yeah, it was substantial. So there was that. We had a council meeting on Monday, which is my day off, that went about three hours. Um, I had appointments every day, which is unusual. Normally when I preach, I do not schedule appointments every day, but, you know, being as I really am a pastor, I think I'm a better pastor than I'm anything else in terms of relating to people one-on-one. I'm I'm not as good a speaker as I'm a pastor. I'm not as good an administrator as I'm a pastor by a long shot. I'm not as good at a lot of things that do that. But so I tend to default you know, to what I like to do, what I'm good at. So I had meetings every day. And, um, and then, of course, um, I probably had my most lengthy time with our youngest congregant that I'm aware of, um, four-month-old Benjamin Skaggs, spent the night at our house on Thursday because uh, his mom was very ill and had to go to the hospital. So for the first time in many, many years, like 19 my wife and I had a four-month-old in between us on our bed all night. And uh, Benjamin decided that 2 o'clock in the morning was kind of like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And he was fun to look at and coo at and 
may giggle and things like that, but I didn't get a whole lot of sleep that night. I remember hearing him make noises in the, like about 6 in the morning. He was going, <coughs> or something like that. And I incorporated these sounds in my dream. And I don't remember what it was, but it was some mechanical object that was making those sounds until I woke up and realized it was Benjamin next to me. And uh, then, you know, I had some book stuff to attend to. So it's been a really, really busy week. And I just realized that um, I'm never bored. Life is plenty exciting. I don't know about you, but if you're bored as a Christian, then I think today's message is going to help you because following Jesus is the most wonderfully exhausting thing you could ever hope to do. It's weird because a lot of people at Scum of the Earth are young. You're in your 20s, a lot of you. Some of you are a bit older. It's okay. But there's this strange change from being a kid or an adolescent to being an adult that's taking place. Especially if you grow up in a Christian home. If you grow up in a Christian home, then there were all sorts of things that you were taught about being a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, maybe you accepted Jesus when you were five. Like you had no idea what in the heck you were doing, but you did it because, you know, mom and dad said it was cool. Or because they scared the hell out of you. Or some Sunday school teacher scared the hell out of you, and so you decided to sign up for five-year-old fire insurance, which is okay. It's okay. I think God takes it. I really do. I think it's wonderful. But you kind of grow up always knowing Jesus is there, always knowing that he teaches you to be kind to people, to help people, to pray. And... Familiarity breeds contempt in that kind of situation if you grew up in a Christian home or if you grew up in a Christian society. And by the time you hit in your 20s, you're going, this is kind of boring. I kind of know everything there is to know, even though I really haven't ever studied it on my own. It's been force-fed to me since I can remember. And so your a little bored with church, a little bored with Christianity, a little bored with God. That's understandable. See, I know these things because I am a pastor and because I talk to folks. Or maybe you came to Christ later on and you became a disciple. In the first chapter of Mark, when we started this series, we saw Jesus going out and calling disciples. Peter was called from being a fisherman to be a disciple. A disciple is a learner. That's what it means in the original language. It means a learner, somebody who learns. And, you know, maybe you came to Christ a while ago and you've been a learner all this time and you're sick of learning. It's like, I know everything there is to know. Yeah, I know I'm not supposed to have sex before I get married. I know I'm not supposed to get drunk. I had to try and figure out what that line is between being drunk and feeling good. So... I've learned that. I mean, you're a learner, right? But 
Honestly, church can get boring. I think the difference between being a disciple and being an apostle is the difference for many people, not all, but many people between meh and wow, I am tired, but I am happy. So we're going to look at a Bible passage today. It talks about that transition. So if you have a Bible open to Mark, the Gospel of Mark chapter 3, and I didn't print it out. Hold on. If you don't have the Bible on your phone, <laughs> then you should. So, hang on a second. Find Mark. Yes, yeah, like second book of the New Testament, chapter 3. We're going to verse, I think, 7, maybe. Is that right? Yeah. All right. All right. Here we go. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all that he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Adumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Okay, let's talk about this for a minute. Jesus is in Galilee. Galilee is that region in Israel, kind of the northern part. There's this big lake there. They call it the Sea of Galilee, but it's a lake, all right? And his fame has been spreading. This is before medicine as we know it today. There were no antibiotics. There were no MRIs or x-rays to tell you what's wrong with you. There was no modern dentistry. There were no transplants of any kind of bodily organ. There were no artificial limbs. There were some folk remedies, some homegrown things that people did to help a little bit, but... When Jesus comes on the scene and starts healing people left and right, it causes a riot. People not only are coming to be healed if they can move, but if they have loved ones who can't move, they are moving them to come and see Jesus. Jesus can't do anything without this large, crushing crowd following him. Not only is he this physical healer, he's also a religious figure. I mean, think the Pope visiting various countries and the outpouring of the populace that comes to see him. Think, um, well, we'll keep going. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. It's like a rock concert. It's like the Beatles coming to Shea Stadium or Bono coming to Red Rocks. I mean, there are people at the door trying to get in to be the first ones close by Jesus. And you know how it is even at Walmart before Christmas, people get killed being trampled as people try and buy stuff. 
with Jesus. I mean, literally, the guy would have been trampled if he didn't figure out a way to keep people from coming and mauling him. Because they were thinking, if I can even just touch the hem of his cloak, I'll be healed. And so he came up with this great idea of using a fishing boat, putting it out into the water a ways, and then speaking to the crowd. Now, have you ever been by a lake? You know that those are great acoustics because usually the ground slopes up from the lake, and the lake makes a great sounding board for projecting your voice. Besides that, some of his disciples owned fishing boats, and so they were probably handy. Now, this is interesting to me because Jesus didn't just do some magic stuff to solve the problem of the crushing crowds. He used boats, he used his disciples and their belongings to help him get... I'm thinking, couldn't you just like, like do this, like... And people like fly backwards? If you wanted to, you I mean you're God, you can do whatever you want. You know, a flick of the eyelash, a flick of the finger, anything will keep these people away from you. But he doesn't do it that way. Instead, he wants to use his disciples. I mean, can you think about it? Every meal Jesus ever ate was not miraculous. Seriously. I mean, it's not always the boy with the bread and the fish, everything multiplying. I'm thinking, these guys are fishermen. They're on Lake of Galilee. Maybe they went out and they fished for their supper. Or, you know, he heals somebody, and they're very, very grateful, and so they open their home to him and his disciples, and they come there and eat. That kind of makes me feel better, that everything isn't, you know, razzmatazz spiritually, that Jesus sometime just had to get in the boat to get away from the crowd, a little buffer there, with security forces in between him and the crowd, called the 12 disciples, the bouncers. I think Peter would have been a pretty awesome bouncer, honestly. I think he would have knocked some heads. Okay. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. So Jesus is casting out demons left and right. He's confronting evil in the world, and he's stopping it. But then, verse 13, we take a shift. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designated them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority over and drive out demons. All right, stop right there for a second. What did Jesus appoint the apostles to do? Everybody immediately thinks, oh, well, they're going to go drive out demons and preach the good news. That's not the first thing they were supposed to do. What's the first thing they were supposed to do? It says that they might be with him. And then that he might send them out to preach. And then to confront evil and injustice. And these are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter... So Jesus is handing out nicknames. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonargis, which means sons of thunder. I'm going, what does that say about James and John? If you see later on, you know, there's a city they go to that doesn't really accept Jesus' message. And James and John want Jesus to call down fire from heaven. No, no, James and John want to call down fire from heaven and wipe the place out. 
So I think Sons of Thunder applies to that kind of mentality. I mean, here's Jesus coming to die for the sins of the world, right? Not to judge it, not to condemn it, but to save it. And these guys want to wipe people out. I'm going, Jesus, do you know what you're doing? I mean, there's Simon Peter, the rock. He's about as steady as a boogie board on top of a wave. I mean, that guy, I mean, you never know what he's going to say. You're the Christ, you're the Messiah. Next thing you know, oh, you don't have to die. It's okay. And Jesus has to say, Satan, get behind me. I will die for you. I will never let anything happen to you. And next thing you know, he's denying that he even knows Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. These are the jokers that Jesus picks. As his posse. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, that's probably a nickname too, means big-hearted, Simon the Zealot, obviously a nickname, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. All right, so Jesus picks these people. And I'm wondering if Jesus just had a tough week, like I did. And he decided to ask for some help from these 12 knuckleheads. So he called them, and they came to him. And he appointed them apostles. Apostles means people who are sent out. Like apo in Greek means from and uh, stello means to send out, so it's people who are sent out from. People who are sent out from Jesus. That's what apostle means. Anybody who Jesus sends out from himself, that's an apostle. It's not some big, high, holy term. It's a very, very common term. And I'm wondering, is it possible for Jesus to get stretched to the nth degree to where he needs help? Why else would he pick these guys? And I'm wondering, does it make God, Jesus, does it make him weaker in this case that he needs our help? My opinion is that it makes him stronger. If you've ever led anything, I don't care if it's just making breakfast for a family. Sometimes it's easier to do it all by yourself because you get people in the kitchen and all of a sudden eggs are on the floor broken and, 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 and all of a sudden the toast is burning in the toaster and, and things are, are messed up. The pan gets all crusty and you can't even clean it when you're done because they let the thing cook too long or they didn't use enough butter or oil or something like that. I mean, sometimes it's easier to do things by yourself. It gets done faster, and it gets done better. And I'm thinking, Jesus, wouldn't it have been easier to start the church all by yourself without these 12 idiots who are following you, trying to wipe people out or denying who you are? Wouldn't that have been easier? 
And I think the answer is yes, it would have been easier, but it's not the way that Jesus wants to do it. I think calling the 12 knuckleheads makes Jesus stronger. What does it say about his choice of friends? There's not a holy man among them, not one Pharisee, not one scribe, not one teacher of the law, not one Sadducee, not one anybody who might know something about the Scriptures that Jesus himself inspired. And so, this is the conclusion that I draw from Jesus' choice of the twelve apostles, that anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Because look at the church, folks. These 12 guys started the church, and it's been kept going by men and women ever since, and it is a mess. We are splintered into denomination after denomination. We argue. We kill each other over whether you should baptize people when they're infants or whether they're, you know, when they're adults. This actually happened in Switzerland. Killing each other. Protestants against Catholics and Orthodox against Catholics and Baptists against everybody else. I mean, honestly. <laughs> It's scandalous what we've done to the church of Jesus Christ. I mean, wouldn't it have been better and easier if Jesus just would have done it himself? But anything worth doing, obviously, in the eyes of heaven, is worth doing poorly. Which, frankly, gives me hope. It really does. I mean, think about what happened ten years ago. You have this pastor, so-called pastor, never really got his, finished his degree from seminary, who got fired from the church he was at. And honestly, to tell the truth, they were probably ready for him to leave at the church before that, who's never been in full-time ministry for 15 years because his marriage and his life was so messed up. This is me I'm talking about now. You have this Yahoo right here, and you got about 12 to 15, 20-some-year-olds who are sick of the church. And Jesus allows us to start our own church. Why? I don't know, because he likes to do things poorly. We had this list of things. I asked the question, if you were going to create a church where you'd feel comfortable and where you'd feel comfortable inviting your friends, what would it look like? So some of the things on the list were like spay or neuter stray pets who wander into the building. No apples in the vending machine, please. Brad gives everybody piggyback rides. And mashed potato eating contest. 
Now, we've never had a mashed potato eating contest at SCUM, but we're going to do it when we celebrate. <laughs> we're going to celebrate our 10th birthday for a while. And when my book comes out, we're going to have this release party, and we're going to have a mashed potato eating contest. It's not just going to be a book release party. It will be a mashed potato eating contest. I'm thinking, okay, how many ways can you contest eating mashed potatoes? And I was thinking, like, there's got to be a timed version where you have a certain portion of mashed potatoes, and then the first person to eat it in the shortest amount of time, that's one contest. Or you get a certain span of time and see who can consume the most mashed potatoes, I'm thinking like you weigh the person beforehand, have the contest, and then weigh them afterwards and see who wins. You can have a contest where you figure out who can hold the most mashed potatoes in their mouth at one time. Anyway, I'm going to have to consult some of the folks who are in my living room to find out what they had in mind. So if you see Reese Roper, ask him because I think it was his idea. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. I mean, something beautiful has transpired, even out of our own brokenness, and the fact that we didn't quite know how to get church off. And 10 years later, God is glorified, mostly. <laughs> Because I'll tell you what, even though we're a church for the left out and the right brain, there are people who are left out who come here and no one ever talks to them. Right. There are people who come here who are artists who never, ever get a chance to use their gifts. So we still have some distance to go. And we always will. But this is where it brings in hope for me. Is that Jesus wants us all to be apostles. That first of all, he's calling all of us to come be with him so that we can go out for him. Isn't that great? Every one of us. I'd like to challenge us tonight to get involved in some external cause. There's Three ways of looking at church, I think. Um, one is that it's a museum for the saints. So we all get scrubbed up and dressed up, and we come here with our best Sunday face on, and we parade around like we're spiritual. That's one way to do church. Another way is to look at church as a hospital where people come in here who are broken and who need attention, triage, surgery, whatever. And people can hopefully be touched, be healed, at least have their hand held in the waiting room while they're waiting for the surgery, you know, something. I mean, I like that. But you know what? I don't think that goes far enough. I think I would like to see Scum of the Earth be something more like an ambulance station where we have a pool of paramedics, EMTs, who all gather together, and yeah, you can come in. We got a clinic, come on in, we'll try and help you out. But you know what? We have a dozen different emergency medical transport vehicles that are taken off into all reaches of the city and around the country. That's what I would like to see. 
What has Jesus called you to do after calling you to himself? That's the question. Some people will confront evil like the apostles did, and they will drive evil out. We've talked about demonic possession before. But there's all kinds of evil. There's evil inherent in our culture. It's systemic. You know, maybe, honestly, if you rise to a position of prominence in your place of work and you have the ability to bring the peace of the kingdom of God to the employees on your shift, that is Jesus calling you out to do something to confront evil and to make it better for the people that you care for on that shift. But who knows? I mean, let's dream big. Let's attempt something so big that if God is not in it, it's doomed to failure. Think about it for a minute. What might God call you to do that's so big that if he's not in it, it's doomed to failure? I'm telling you, this church is one of those things for me. Every week I figured it was going to fall apart. My favorite line was, Lord, well, if this doesn't work, then... I guess my next line to you is, what's next? Martin Luther King had a dream of a society where black children and white children could enjoy the same liberties. He confronted racism at its ugliest, and he paid the supreme price. But I'm telling you, that was a job that he got from Jesus. I'll call Martin Luther King an apostle right now, one who was with Jesus and who was sent out by Jesus to do something. The world has got problems all around. Right now we've been hearing about the terrible earthquake in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. I'm going to make a really radical statement. Scum of the Earth Church, officially, the staff, the council, we're not going to do anything. You want to know why? Because I want you to do something. You don't need church leadership to follow Jesus. You just need to follow Jesus. What could Jesus call you to do to help ease the suffering and help people in Port-au-Prince right now? You could come up with a benefit concert if you're musical. You could sell some artwork. You could have a whole art show just to benefit the survivors of the earthquake in Port-au-Prince. You could go door-to-door and take collections. You could organize a team of people to do anything. What is it Jesus is calling you to do? You don't need my permission. I've said this before. I will say it again. You are all called by Christ to be with him and then to go out for him.
As far as I'm concerned, we got the home base covered right here at Scum of the Earth. Staff, the council, the leadership, we got it covered. We have people who come and set up and people who clean up and people who cook and all that kind of stuff. You know what? Home base is covered. What Jesus needs is ambulance drivers to go out and start doing stuff left and right. I'm going to give you permission right now. I don't know what your dream might be, what Jesus may call you to do, but if it's not immoral and it's not heretical and it doesn't cost the church anything, anything <laughs> in terms of money, go do it. All right? If it's not immoral and it's not heretical, that means it's not contrary to Scripture and sound doctrine. If it's not immoral, it's not heretical, it doesn't cost us any money because we don't have much. You can do whatever you want to for Jesus. This kind of call was issued 20 years ago by a pastor here in Denver. And let me tell you the kinds of things that came out of that challenge. Inner City Health Center, which provides medical attention for the poorest of the poor, the uninsured, up in Five Points. They got a building now, they got a staff. It was like two doctors who said, you know what, we can work half time, make enough for our families to live, and donate half of our weeks to the poor and the downtrodden. That's what they felt like Jesus called them to do. And now we've got this inner city health center that's been going on for all these years. Mile High Ministries, same kind of thing. With all the stuff they do, like Joshua Station, the Issachar program, they have mentoring going on. They're awesome. All because Jeff Johnson heard Jesus call him to himself and then send him out, apostello, from himself. It is good. It's great. Andy Cannon Felt God's tug in his heart for the downtrodden on Colfax. And I'll tell you, that guy endured all sorts of persecution from people who did not want the kind of folks he was ministering to anywhere close to their businesses. And that's how Open Door Ministries got started, which also spawned Providence Network. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Do you realize that wherever Christians have gone, I, I know that everybody's concerned and really upset with Pat Robertson for saying the bonehead stuff that he says on television and trying to speak for all Christians. All right? Do you realize that the first efforts for humanitarian aid that were pouring into Haiti were from Christian missionary groups? Left and right. I mean, even the Red Cross was started by Christians. Red Cross, get it? <laughs> Everywhere Christians have gone, you know, hospitals have sprung up for people who couldn't take care of themselves. And, and, and schools have sprung up so people can learn how to read the Bible. Christians have a great legacy of following what Jesus said. Come to me. And then I will send you out. So Jesus is calling.
Will you respond, s'il vous plaît? Will you RSVP? Remember, he came up on the mountainside and he called people to him and they came. Will you come? A little hope here. If you're really shooting big, like huge, God-sized dreams that without God it'll fail, just remember that nothing worth doing can be accomplished in your lifetime. Nothing worth doing can be accomplished just in your lifetime. Shoot for the stars. Go big. So big that if God is not in it, it's going to fail. Jesus is calling us to spend time with him and then to be sent out by him, to be with him and to go for him. It's like the Apostle Paul says at the end of Romans. Romans 11.36, he says this. Well, not the end of Romans, but Romans 11.36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Tonight could be the night that God gets a hold of your heart and puts in you a vision for something that will change the world. Really, tonight could be that night. It may cost you everything you have. It may take you years. Maybe you can't even start it until you're 46 years old like I was. But you know what? It'll be worth it. It'll be good. And even, honestly, even if you die in the trying, won't that be glorious? The prayer cave tonight is not going to be a prayer cave exactly. It's going to be a hope cave, a dream cave. We're going to have some folks pass out little half sheets of paper to you. And this is what I want you to do. don't want you to sign it. I want you to dream with Jesus. If you are with Christ, and if you hear him calling you to send you out, then I want you to write down just an idea of what that might be. It could be one word. It could be a paragraph. I don't care. Don't sign it. And when you're done with this hope, this dream, this God-sized project, this thing to which you are being called, I want you to give it to God by placing it in the basket back in the playroom over there. You have a few songs to do that in, or you can do it after we're done. It doesn't matter. Pray with me if you would. Lord Jesus... Thank you for calling us to yourself. We need you so badly. We couldn't do any of this stuff without you. And thank you for calling us to a life that is far from boring, a life where you have sent us out to do your will, to cast out demons, to confront injustice, to heal the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind, to heal those who are ill to bring your good news to a world that so desperately needs to hear 
that you have come to save us in spite of ourselves. Accept our offerings today, Jesus, these little pieces of paper, and work in us the fulfillment of the dream that you give us. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.